The Game of Zen explores the often overlooked ways in which professional, personal, and spiritual growth are interrelated. We dive deep into the life teachings of the Buddha and the mindfulness practices of Zen, revealing how they can help us dramatically expand our possibilities for wholehearted work, life, and play. Good afternoon and welcome to episode two of the Game of Zen podcast. I'm here with my good friend, Sensei Paul Giodo Augustinelli. What's up, Paul? How's it going today? It's, it's going really well, Scott. Good to be here with you. Awesome. So yeah, today um, our topic is going to be the Four Noble Truths. Um, and as always in this episode, we'll be talking about how they can help us in our personal life and, and business career. And, you know, it's been my experience since I've been learning this, that it applies every day. And there's so many different ways that we can learn from these truths and, and bring them into our life. So let's start off, Paul, by why don't you give us an overview of, of how it works and, and what it means? Yeah, well, the Four Noble Truths are right at the core of uh, Buddhist teachings and practice. And it's they're really um, kind of mind-blowing in a way when you really wrap your, your head around them. Um, some people call them the four noble truths. Some people call them the four noble opinions. They're just a way. So don't, you know, don't take it as like a dogmatic, you know, this is how the world is. But when we take them as, well, this might be how things operate. So let me look into this. We find that there's a lot of real practical wisdom, you know, in the, in these truths. So really briefly, the, the first noble truth is that we experience life as suffering or another way to translate this word dukkha that the Buddha used is as insufficiency. So we are always experiencing the world in a way in which it's not quite right. We don't quite have enough or we have too much of something, right? So that's right at the core of human experience is this, this sense of not enoughness. The second noble truth is that there's a very specific cause of this sense of insufficiency. And that cause is what is sometimes termed attachment. But it's, it's, not that, it's not that we don't care about things. It's that we have a kind of an energetic relationship with things in which we're either pulling them towards us, we're craving them, or we really don't like them and we're pushing them away, or we're just ignoring them. Right. So that's really what Buddha meant by attachment is that it's a kind of a really self-centered um, preferential engagement with things in the world, whether it's feelings or people or situations, whatever it may be. We've got these preferences around it. That's what causes this feeling of insufficiency. So the third noble truth is that we can actually do something about this. We can do some, we can relieve ourselves from this persistent feeling of insufficiency. And then the fourth noble truth is, well, what is that? What is that? Um, what is that way? And that's articulated as the Eightfold Path. And there's something really interesting in kind of the architecture of these four noble truths. If you look at it in like a medical analogy, you see that usually the way it goes is that you have the symptom and then you get a diagnosis and then you get a prescription for how to um, deal with and then you get the cure, right? So that's how it goes when you go to the doctor. Well, the Four Noble Truths follow this, but there's a twist. 
you have the symptom, life is suffering or insufficiency. You have the diagnosis, oh, it's being caused by the sense of attachment. But now instead of getting the prescription, you get the cure. The cure is, yeah, we can relieve suffering. Okay, it just, it puts it out there. And then the fourth noble truth is the prescription. Mm -hmm. So you get cure and then you get prescription. Okay, so we end with the prescription and one of the, you know, the, the beautiful kind of ahas from this is that, well, you never really fully cured <laughs> and it's all about practice and putting mm -hmm. your prescription, your medicine, you know, into, into practice, into effect. You take your pill, you, you do your, whatever it is, your medicine, you take your medicine or you practice your medicine every day, every moment. And, um, you continuously transform, you know, this symptom that you're experiencing. Yes. Well done, doctor. <laughs> that was great. Um, and, you know, I and certainly learning from you has been medicine for me, actually, uh, over the last couple of years, like the things that we've talked about. And yeah, I mean, I was blown away when I first started learning about this. And, the, the, you know, starting with the first one that life is suffering, that everybody experiences it and just being aware of it and being, you know, okay with it is really, you know, a really good start on the road here is because, you know, we know it, but once we focus on it, we don't run from our suffering. We experience it and we try and understand why it's happening. So for me, you know, that was a big revelation. You know, I, I, it really set, it really hit home for me, um, what was causing things in my life that were causing suffering. So when I got to the second one, and I started looking at my life and applying it to attachment, aversion, things like that. Then I was like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's why I have anxiety. That's why I have trouble sleeping at night. And, you know, as as we talk about in every episode, this applies to work and, you know, life and home life. And so for each situation that came up that would cause me um, some suffering, I was able to process it better and really understand what it was coming from and then move towards you know, the medicine or the prescription. And yeah. so I think that's, that's a really good lesson. And so, you know, Paul, what are these, you know, the, the, the problem is that we experience it, but how do we, how does it bring out, how does it come out in every day, op, you know, of, of our lives? Yeah, well, it, it's there all the time. That's the, that's the amazing thing. And, and when you turn your mind towards this to look and see whether this is perhaps an accurate description of, of what happens within, you, you might notice right away that, wow, you're almost continuously in this place of, oh, I'm looking for something. Um, you know, th this moment isn't enough. I mean, when I started working with this, I, I know from the first second that I wake up sometimes, there's, okay, what's the problem I need to solve? What's, what do I need to do, you know, right now in this moment? And then throughout the day, right, entering into every given, every given moment, every given uh, conversation, every meeting, every engagement, there's, there's a, something that I, that I want to get out of it, or there's a condition that I'm experiencing that I'm uh, wanting to change. Right. It's it operates at such a subtle level. But but when I look at myself, I can see the truth of this, that there's there's a something that is not quite OK, not completely OK with my life, with my experience. So it's it's really is, you know, incredibly relevant when, when I start to notice and when you start to notice 
the things that you're doing to manipulate your own experience, right? To change the way you feel or to, you know, get something in your life, right? You start making these plans to, uh, uh, you know, build your business up or to go on vacation or to whatever it is. There's, there's oftentimes an inner drive that I really need this to happen in order to be okay. Mm-hmm. So I, I found it right at the right at the base base level, you know, relevant to uh, every day in that way. How about you? Well, yeah, I wanted to focus on business for a minute and the not enoughness, because the one common denominator of every business I've ever been involved with is at some point there was a feeling of not enoughness. Right. And, you know, not enough money coming in, not enough uh, customers, not enough product, you know, and there's always when you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to build something, there's always that moment when you really want more. And it almost never goes away. Uh, I've never been in a situation where I'm completely 100% satisfied with right. with my business. And so I'm always trying. But at the same time, you know, we're always striving to build a bigger business and have more. So there's that there's that dichotomy there where, you know, we want to be happy with what we have. But as uh, as a businessman and having investors and having money, you know, at stake, we want more. And so mm-hmm. but I think the key and maybe you can help me with this a little bit is like, how do we balance the fact that, you know, at the end of each day, we did, we never have quite enough, but we do have enough. <laughs> yeah. I guess I could summarize it by saying, do you need more in order to be okay? Right. You can want more, but do you need more? And most of us are at some relatively deep psychological, emotional level. We need more in order to be okay. So if we can really ground into where we're at and the fundamental sufficiency of our moment and and of our life, and then say, oh, I I would like more. I I want this business to thrive. I I want my family to be well taken care of. You know, I want a yacht, whatever it may be. All of it's okay. But if you if you need it to be okay, you're you've you've started the ball rolling (laughs) of suffering, which is just going to escalate and compound. I don't need a yacht, but I would like one, though. But so, uh, maybe a raft to get to the other shore, which is a, a good Buddhist analogy um, that I've learned. Um, so and, you know, it's w- the definition of success and happiness is is something that I think about a lot. And um, you actually wrote a great uh, newsletter a couple of weeks ago about this. And so talk to me a little bit more about how do we define success? you know, mm. in work and life and how do we um, limit the upside? Meaning like, how do we say, okay, it's never going to be perfect, but it's good enough in terms of the success that we've achieved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the, you know, it, it's important to kind of recognize what your current understanding of success is. And there's, there's a, there's a socially conditioned, you know, definition of success that you've achieved certain external goals with respect to getting a certain, you know, bank account is a certain size, your business is a certain size, you've got the trophy partner, uh, you've got the perfect relationship. Um, you know, you you have all of these things that are markers of success. So the first thing is to just recognize the sort of perverse trance that 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 those belief systems embody. Okay, they're they're fundamentally, you know, externals. So we really have to work against that kind of internal programming and and coding and um, turn inside 
and become familiar with and reacquainted with our deepest self and what we truly want in our life. And really for everybody, it's very simple. I mean, happiness is just being, being okay with ourselves, mm -hmm. just really being uh, content with what our, our life is all about without fighting or resisting the conditions of our life. You know, that's kind of the, the structure of happiness, if you will, is, mm -hmm. is like that. So when you redefine, you know, you can redefine success as finding what is most deep within yourself and doing work in the world that really fulfills you. And that's just work that fulfills you. It doesn't have to fulfill anybody else. It doesn't have to serve any sort of ideal or goal that anybody else has. Um, but really is, is, is work that you really enjoy doing every day and, and serve, serves a bigger purpose than your ego. Fulfilling work always comes in here. Um, that, that to me is a more helpful kind of orientation towards success. Yeah, and I think the importance of internal work is really uh, key here and really like defining the external goals, which are constantly shifting. So, you know, the goals I had in the beginning of my career when I was young and I had little children is are different now. You know, my kids are older. I'm, I'm more settled in my life and career. So my goals have changed. I also am getting to the point where I'm thinking about, you know, retirement age and things. You know, what are my goals in those days? And so how much money do I need between now and then? You know, and so I think it's really identifying for your own purpose. I think the point you're making, too, is not letting outside forces of society really dictate what is success, mm -hmm. you know, and I find in, in business that there's a lot of people that are, they're never fully, they're never satisfied no matter how much they have. They just want more and more and more. And I don't think that's the way for happiness. You know, I know people that, you know, are super successful that aren't happy. And I know people that are barely making, you know, 50 grand a year and they're very happy. You know, yeah. so I think that's really our own internal dialogue. And this is why, you know, talk about how the, the, the four truths really help us, you know, put those goals into perspective. Yeah, well, th this is really a good segue into the fourth noble truth, which is the Eightfold Path. And that's the prescription. How do we relieve ourselves from suffering? Which is another way to, to say, how, how do we become happy? How do we cultivate happiness, right? And that's a, a kind of a, a matrix or a format for living in alignment with your deeper, deeper self, right? So we call it so right view, right intention, right livelihood, right action. There's eight, eight kind of dimensions of living your life internally and externally. So relation to your own experience and relation to the world that puts you in alignment with this deeper self. And when you do that, um, that's how, that's how you do it. You, uh, it's that, that is the path to happiness. And there's, there's a lot to look at there because we've got eight different dimensions and all sorts of ways to kind of do it right and do it wrong and be out of alignment and, uh, miss misstep and whatnot. So mm -hmm. this practice is, is, is very rich and interesting. Yeah. And we're going to go into a lot more detail on each one of the, uh, eightfold path. 
Um, and there's there's a lot to be learned in that. And and there's there's other li- the good thing about the Buddha is he made a lot of lists and and these you know we have a lot of content to cover here. But there's something deep to be learned. This is what I get out of this in each one, just in right view by itself. I read a whole book on right view one time, and it was just really enlightening. I mean, I just learned so much about it. And, you know, there was many times after that when something would come up in work or life and I would think, what's right view in this situation? You know, and so I would learn how to apply that truth to the particular situation. And so I think that part of what we're going to you know, learn here is we're, we're not just going to learn what they do, but how do we apply them to our daily life and, and to, to lessen our suffering? So uh, do you have any, you know, good examples of something, you know, work or life related that, you know, the eightfold path has helped you through? Every day. <laughs> right. Every day. Yeah. Um, I think the, the the primary orientation that the Four Noble Truths generally, you know, give me is, is that I'm, I, I realize that I'm adding something to my experience, right? The not okayness kind of initiates, you know, reactive, uh, emotional drives, you know, within me. So I get angry when things don't go my way, or I get frustrated if somebody doesn't understand me. Um, all of, all of these are things that the Buddha called the second arrow. Um, so he said, you know, the first arrow is just our uncomfortable or painful experiences in the world. Right. But what we do as humans is we follow the first arrow with a second arrow, which is all of our attempts to change or manipulate or resist uh, the first arrow. It's how we're dealing with that that first arrow discomfort. And the second arrow causes much more suffering than than the first arrow does. Mm -hmm. So just that perspective, you know, I could I could be in a conversation I, I used to you know, when I had a boss, you know, kind of been my own boss for a while, but when I had a boss and, you know, I, I found that he wasn't understanding me or I thought he was, you know, off the wall, uh, which I've had, you know, a bunch of bosses who were off the wall and I felt mm-hmm. they weren't, you know, looking at things in the right way. And then I would start to get, uh, angry and argumentative because I, be, because of that. But I, then I, I realized that, that my reactivity was was just making things worse mm-hmm. right um now that didn't mean that the guy didn't get what i was saying i mean he definitely didn't get what i was saying but i was just making it worse by kind of fighting with him and arguing mm-hmm. with him and so when i kind of got into a place of say listening it's like let me really instead of fighting what you're saying let me listen into what you're saying and where you're coming from Mm-hmm. And almost instantly you realize when you're in a disagreement or an argument with someone is they've, they've got an emotional need that, that they're coming from, that they're trying to, ex- try, trying to express. Like in, in a lot of cases, it comes out of fear, right? And then I came mm-hmm. to see a boss, you know, the CEO of a company is oftentimes has a base level existential, I can't let this company go down, right? I've got to, mm-hmm. I've got to make the right decision in this place. So, as leaders, it's a great, you know, it's a great lesson. Is 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 your your fear is adding something to uh, to your to your judgment and to your decision making. Mm-hmm. Um, and that so that's another application. Is is I would find you know I'd I'd, I'd face a situation, and my first reaction might be re- very fear based. Mm-hmm. And when I just took a breath 
and realize, okay, let's not make this out of fear. Let me, let me look at this very clearly. I realized I could, um, make a much, make a much sounder decision. Yeah. And I want, I'm glad you brought up taking a breath because I want to uh, stress the importance of meditation along this whole journey here is that the more we can meditate on things and think about like, you know, our breathing and then really think about the, the issue at hand. You know, a lot of times I'll sit down and meditate and something will come up about that I've been dealing with and I'll, I'll work through the eightfold path and I'll be like, okay, you know, what's, how am I reacting to this situation? And more importantly, or equally as importantly, how is the other person dealing with it? What, are the, what is their suffering? And so I think one of the things I've learned that's so important is the more that I've recognized this in myself and understood this path here, the more I can look at the person across from me and try and understand what they're going through. You know, my job a lot of these days is in venture capital and every person that sends me a pitch deck has a dream. They also have anxiety and stress and not enoughness and, and, you know, and things like that. And so how can I alleviate their suffering? How can I provide the tools that they need? You know, I love sending books to people and say, read this book and then we'll talk about it in, in a couple months. And so, you know, it's not just like what's going on in my world, but what's going on in the, in the other person, you know, that's with me here and how can I help them along the yeah. journey? So I think that's that's a gift that you get when with this is that you you help yourself, but you're also able to help other people a lot more. Yeah, that, that's right on, Scott. Yeah, really beautiful. Thank you. Um, appreciate that. And so um, I also want to talk about um, listening, deep listening um, and how that really because really understanding, you know, the suffering is, is so important. And so how do we you know, I, I like talk less, listen more. Sometimes I think about that a lot, but how do we, you know, uh, put ourselves in a position where we're not talking as much about ourselves, but we're really listening to the other person so that we can help them? Yeah, well, you know, the first thing is to listen to yourself, right? So if you're if if you're in a place of lack, okay, and then and then someone's talking to you, that's going to feed your your sense of okay what I'm going to, I need to get something from this. Like, what am I getting from this? And you're preparing your answer, right? So you have to, you have to really be honest and tune into what your needs are, what you, what you think your needs are and what your feelings are. Are you, are you scared? Are you in a place of lack? Are you activated and reactivated, you know, in this place? So deep listening starts with really checking in with yourself and listening to yourself and where you're at. And then um, give your capacity to uh, everybody that you're talking to, like you say, and not have, I mean, most of us, we don't listen very deeply. We're, mm -hmm. we're planning what we're going to say, you know, when that person takes a pause. I mean, we all do this. It's very, it's very natural what we're going to come in. So it's a, it's a real practice just to resist that, you know, to not feed that and just listen, listen, listen. Oh, have some curiosity, not only about what they're saying, the conceptual, you know, level of what they're saying, because we get all thinky and heady all the time, but to really hear them, allow them to express uh, or, or even energetically manifest, right? Because sometimes people don't even know what they're feeling, but they're energetically manifesting it all the time, right? So listen in body and mind, to where this person is coming from, what they're saying, and then 
really come from a place of response that's like, oh, okay, you know, I I I, I really hear you, and this is this is what I have to say. Um, it's a practice. Yes, it is a practice. And I think one thing that I've gotten out of the practice is basically being resilient and learning from failures, learning from setbacks. And this is where the, you know, the four truths really helped me out because, you know, I'll, I know that there's a way out of it. And I know that the, actually it's impermanent. That's another key lesson here is that whatever I'm going through today is going to change tomorrow. Yeah, and yeah. we can never swim in the same river twice. Uh, you know, it, it's always different. And so that's something that the path has really helped me understand is that, yes, I'm going through this. Why am I going through this? And and by the way, there's a way out of it and it's not going to last forever. Nothing does. And Nothing so that's does. that's really helps me get through tough days. You know, I go to bed at night. I'm like, oh, this was a crappy day. But you know what? Tomorrow, if I wake up in the morning and I can see and I can breathe and I can walk, I'm going to be OK. You know, it'll be a different type of a day. So that's really, you know, one of the key learnings that I've gotten out of this. That's right at the heart of it, Scott, is, is to be really comfortable and accepting of the impermanence of everything. And what we tend to do is we hold on to the things we like and we want to keep them around and we push away the things that we don't like. Right. But if we look at it, the things that we don't like are going to go on their own. And the things that we like are also going to go on their own. Everything ultimately is going to go, you know, including our life. So yeah. if we if we really just accept that, um, that's that's where the the happiness comes from. Yeah, and I think again, it all and and this is going to come up a lot. It applies both in in your personal life and your work life because you know nothing lasts forever in business. I mean, I've learned that when I was a young guy and and working, I thought I'd be doing the same thing forever, and now I've done five different things. And I imagine there'll be more coming. And, and that's really helped me with the change that's come, you know, in my business life and personal life. Like I've been able to deal with it better as opposed to being afraid of change. You know, we know that it's coming. And so I'm not holding on to a specific, you know, type of business or, or team that I'm with or anything like that. I'm, I'm OK when it changes. And so I've been much more adaptable, I guess is the right word, to life changes. And I think that's a key attribute. It is. And both of us are entrepreneurs. And this this is right at the heart of the entrepreneurial spirit. You know, most entrepreneurs are serial entrepreneurs. So they've had successes and failures and things that go for a while and things, things, things that don't. And that's that's baked into the nature of being a good entrepreneur is to be able to ride the waves up and down and to and to uh, enjoy the process. And, you know, and I'm also attracted to startups a lot. I can't help it. I like new, new shiny objects. And, yeah. you know, the nature of a startup is it's changing. It's evolving. Right. It's, it's right. just going to be this is where we are today, but we're going to this place in the future. And the other thing that I've learned is that it, it's never a straight line. It's always a, a jagged line. And, and it never really goes exactly where we think it's going to go. Sometimes it's right. better. Sometimes it's worse. And, you know, you just got to learn how to roll with it. I mean, you can't you know, you can't get too caught up in the success. It's about the journey, you know, and, and I, I haven't, not everything I've done has been successful, but I learned something from every situation that I've been in and I've learned how to deal with people. And I think one of the gifts of this teaching is that I've gotten better at dealing with, you know, whatever new team or new people that come into my world, I'm, I'm more, uh, I'm better able to deal with that because I, I have these skill sets. Yeah. 
Yeah. So um, we're going to we're going to be talking a lot more about this Um, in our next episode. We're going to talk about the second and third noble truths and how they apply directly um, to our work and life. And, you know, we're going to we're going to give you guys a lot more to learn from. Um, At the end of every episode, we're also going to provide some resources for you. And Paul's going to do a little meditation. So I have a book here, Paul, that I'd like to tell everyone about. It's called The Heart of the Buddha's Teaching. Uh, by my favorite guy, Thich Nhat Hanh, a Vietnamese Buddhist monk. And this this book is really great because it really, you know, transforming suffering into peace, joy, and liberation. And it really goes into detail on the Four Noble Truths. And there's a lot of literature out there. So I, I highly recommend that you read books and, and study. And also feel free to send us feedback and ask us questions. Um, in future episodes, we'll, we'll be dealing with those questions. And uh, we'd love to have your interaction. Um, So, Paul, it's up to you now. Let's do a little meditation to close out this episode. Okay. Your meditation for today is going to be what is lacking. Okay. So I'll invite you, Scott, and our listeners to close your eyes. Tune in. Tune into your breath. First, give three breaths. Extended, an extended inhale and an extended exhale. And now turn your mind to the question What is lacking in this moment? If something comes to you specifically, investigate that. Is that true? Can you be with that absence fully? Is there any problem in this moment? If you're hungry, can you just feel the hunger? Thirsty, just feel the thirst. If you have an itch, scratch the itch. If you have some soreness, allow the soreness. What is lacking? And now we can come out of that brief meditation. 
this is something you can do whenever you have a few moments is just to tune in and investigate. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. That was really great. Awesome. So we're going to conclude today's episode. Um, we encourage you to listen to our other podcasts um, and reach out to Paul, subscribe to his excellent newsletter, visit his website. And I highly recommend Paul as a teacher. He's, he's helped me tremendously. So please uh, reach out if you're interested in some coaching lessons. And thank you very much, Paul. This was a great episode. Yep. I've enjoyed it, Scott. Thanks everyone right. for listening. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on this exploration into Zen Buddhism and its transformative influence on work and life. We hope you'll subscribe, share, and comment wherever you get your podcasts. May your journey be one of continuous growth and mindful living. From all of us here at Game of Zen, wishing you peace and prosperity on your path ahead.